Welcome to the most electrifying show where we discuss all topics related to high voltage. Let's go. Let's go, buddy. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Thank, thank you for is, having me. This is your second appearance on the show. Appreciate it, it, brother. This is. This is. I can't believe you had me back, but we'll do it again. That's right. <laughs> well, Blake, he's been sporting those new britches. And oh, nobody wants a picture of that in their head. He's been on a lot of dates since then. Oh, man. He's single and ready to mingle. <laughs> he is. <laughs> <laughs> We're just doing this, me and you, man. Let's go, man. Yeah. This will be fun. It, it will be. Hey, by the way. I'm not putting you on the spot or anything. What do you think about my intro? I like it. Do you? I like it a lot. I'm still a little... It's catchy. It, the music is. Yeah. Oh, you meant your voice. Yeah, I'm still a little heavy. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Because it's like, you know, it's <laughs> kind of that fake overzealous. You know, no, it sounds but, great. I think it's good. I have to I hear know. what the listeners think, too. Well, if they tell us. Yeah, well, we got to ask all three. A lot of times they give thumbs <laughs> up, and then they don't <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right, man. So this is just me and you, news around the industry, right? We're just going to bounce it around. I want to start off, one, again, thanking you for coming to the show. Number two, thanking our listeners. So Ryan reached out. I believe this was in context to episode number two when uh, Blake and I were talking about some other news stories. So Ryan emailed us. I appreciate it, Ryan. And he attached a lot of information to go with our news stories. So in episode two... I believe it was myself. I brought up the EV charging stations, and it was actually, Jay, around semi-trucks. Sure. The the Class 8 semi-trucks they were doing out in California. So Ryan attached a news article that there's this new technology that is extending the EV range by 20%, which that's a pretty wow. significant that's number. That's a right? big, big increase. Yeah, that's a pretty significant number. And it says that Mercedes-Benz will actually be the first automaker to use this new material. That doesn't surprise me. No, I mean, I would say they have, they got money, right? Yeah, like, they have money they, and they can afford the R&D or whatever it takes to implement. Sure. And we think about Mercedes Benz as a high end dealer here in the States. But if right. you go over to Europe, that's a common car. Uh, and if you actually look on the roads, most of the larger freight trucks yep. are Mercedes Benz in Europe. So. That's really why I say it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I agree. Actually, my parents bought a Mercedes Benz um, motorhome. Nice. And then they got rid of it. Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> they went on one trip. Yeah, they went on one trip. That's yep. all it lasted. They're like, eh, let's get a camper. <laughs> yeah, I love those little Mercedes diesels. Of course, I say the word diesel when we're talking about EVs. Them are complete opposite. They are. They are. <laughs> but, but I love those little Mercedes diesels. They're a tough, really. tough little They car. are. They are very tough. So anyhow, back to what Ryan sent. So just to follow up and add to those original conversations, what this is, is it's a new technology. And I apologize if y'all hear the papers flipping in the background. So uh, it says a widespread uh, widespread transition to EVs will slash the world's greenhouse gas emissions. We've all heard the same talking points. Uh, Basically, in 2022, only 13% of new cars sold worldwide were electric. I thought that number would be higher. I did too, really. Yeah, thirteen percent. Now that, but see, the thing is, it says that's a worldwide number. Yeah, that's so true. there's probably a lot of places where EVs are not even practical, right? And and you know, really, let's be honest. If it weren't for government mandates, how many EVs would there even be here in the states? Probably not a lot, right? So I I I think thirteen percent is low, but when you take worldwide, and then you got to consider government mandates and all that. Sure, maybe maybe the purpose though. Yeah, maybe it's a fair number. So regardless, what this new technology is, it says the battery firm 
Sila Nanotechnologies okay. has unveiled a Titan Silicone. It's a new material for EV batteries, which can boost the range by 20%. So they're not really changing the, the concept of the battery, right? Right. But it's a the, the Titan Silicone. Huh. And it can boost the range by 20% while reducing. Well, that word's cut off. <laughs> so it's reducing something. It's reducing right? something. It ain't reducing emissions, I assume. No. Uh, how it works. The Titan silicone is designed for use in anodes, the part of a battery that releases the electrons during the discharge. In lithium-ion batteries, the anode is typically made of graphite, but the Scylla's powdery anode material is silicon-based. Silicone can hold more energy than graphite in the same amount of space. Nice. Yep. <clears throat> so it has made it a luring substitute for EV batteries. Tesla has been looking into it since at least 2015. But silicone also expands and contracts during use in a way that can quickly degrade the battery. Uh, so there's always those downsides. There's a pro and a con, yep. right? Yep. And, and so, but yeah, so it sounds like Mercedes said, let's gonna, try it out. Let's use it. Yeah. And, and that's a, so it says it, it takes up the same amount of space. True. But 20% additional range. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I'll be honest with you, that's what the industry is going to have to have. You know, for right now with the way lithium-ion batteries are, they're just not practical. If you look at an – they're great if you're in the city. Mm -hmm. They're great. But if you look at the average distance a person drives, um, it's fine for a lithium-ion battery car, EV, whatever you want to call it. But most people want that freedom. They want that freedom to be able to go, hey, I want to go to grandma's house, and it's four cities over, and I don't want to stop. Or if I do have to stop, I want that five-minute stop to fill up and roll on. Yeah, I I want to go to Wyoming. Yeah, you want to go to Wyoming. You don't want to plan your trip by every city you have to stop and and wait hours for a car to charge. So we got them. They got to move to different technologies where that distance is great. Distance or capacity is just greatly improved. And I think you're going to see a lot more of these things come out. Right. Different technologies. People, the the manufacturers, they're desperate for that new upcoming thing. Oh, yeah. So they're going to be trying new things. Are they all going to work? No, we know that. Oh, surely not, right? But they're going to be trying really hard to get those those new technologies and really to be the first one that jumps on something that does work. Yep. I agree. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. I agree. You want me to go since that was a follow-up? Well, and, actually. And again, thanks, Ryan, for emailing in. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, having having a listener engagement. That's super cool. It's crucial. Yeah, Absolutely. I actually had an article, and this kind of leads right into right. what I was going to talk about. That was a perfect segue. See, it was perfect. I knew you were reading my mind That's already. Right. So this was coming from Utility Dive. Uh, it's an article talking about EVs, and they're going to bring unprecedented power demand. Um, but their flexibility can bring, can bring improvements to grid reliability. You know, people think about EVs, and they think about, you know, what is that demand going to be on our system? But a lot of people aren't talking about what kind of reliability and what kind of improvements to reliability can these EVs bring. Right. Um, perfect example. Um, you look at, and I'm, I'm going to name drop a utility here because mm-hmm. it's been all through the news out down in our area where we're at right now. But Duke Energy partnered up with Ford for their F-150 Lightnings. Yep. Um, they're going to do a pilot program to where they give incentives to customers 
for the customer to buy F-150 Lightning with the understanding that Duke Energy can use that EV, a battery storage system. Right. One EV battery storage system is not really that big a deal. But when you start talking about a whole neighborhood, right, a whole thousand city, exactly. I mean, you're talking about a large amount of battery storage that's able to be able to be used for the utility. And, of course, to have that happen, You've got to you got to be able to incorporate all of that. You got to be able to manage all of that. The last thing you want to do as a utility is to use that EV, and then when the customer goes to use it the next morning, <laughs> she's on empty. Oh, she's on empty. You <laughs> know that right. customer's not going to be happy. That's you, right. You you can look at one thing to where you've cut off somebody's power, but now now you've paid it where they can't travel. So you got to be careful of that. But I thought it was really cool. You know, they're talking about unprecedented growth from EVs. But utilities are actually saying it's a misconception that the power grid is going to be overloaded. Really? Um, yeah. They Please think, explain. Yeah, that, I had to. So you're, you're plugging something extra in. I, I am. Uh, so you're adding load. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be extra load. Um, utilities are saying, you know, we're prepared for it now. Do I agree with that 100%? No. I do agree that the utilities are probably prepared for your normal homeowners to add an EV to their home. Um, most most utility construction has taken into account load growth. Um, so yeah, they probably are prepared for that. But your EV platforms, your average homeowner is not where the load growth is going, where I think utilities are concerned with. What I think they're more concerned with is you think about your Bob's AC repair shop down the street that's got 15 vans and next door to it's right. Jim Bob's uh, electrical company that's got 35 vans. And then right next door to it, you've got your um, plumbing company and it's got 15 vans. And all of a sudden you're looking at this one street and you're adding 200 EVs to it. And now they want these fast charge. Mm -hmm. uh, so... I think, or you look at your Amazon locations, uh, think about how many yes. Amazon, Walmart, um, especially when you look at like an, I think I go always go back to Amazon because they have so many right. delivery yeah. vehicles. Um, those are the type applications where I do think you're going to have overload on the grid. I can see where they're, they're always trying to downplay it. You know, you have to look at it from their side. I thought this was a really cool number though. In 2021, EVs consumed 6.1 terawatt hours. That's all, huh? Of energy. That's right. 15 to 27 terawatt hours are going to be needed by 2050. And how much did they consume? 6.1 oh, in wow. 2021. Oh, wow. So we're talking about an exponential growth. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of additional uh, power that's needed, energy that's needed. Um, they do talk some, you know, like we mentioned earlier, talking about the flexibility, EV charging, they can provide great opportunity for improved re resilience. Mm -hmm. um, everybody thinks about the extra load, but sometimes the utilities need extra load. Right. You, you, they may have increased capacity with their generation, and they've. And some of these plants are not easy to shut down and start up. Oh no, 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 no. So if they have that capacity, you know, I always go back to my previous experience. I used to work in a control room that operated pump storage. Well, we used pump storage to literally offset the other generation that was extra. At, at, during the low valleys, uh, we would pump that that time, mm -hmm. and then we would discharge the hydro stations right. uh, during peaks. 
Um, so I want to clarify, <clears throat> just for the listeners, when you say pump storage, and, and I may be completely wrong, I just want to make sure. I'm envisioning uh, a hydro dam, like you said, right? Yep. And we, you would actually use the additional generated electricity, and you would turn on those big pumps, and you would have a pipeline, let's say, that's taking water back to the top of the hill. That's right. Right, to like a pond. Sure. And then during the day, you would open the dam gates, which would then generate more electricity that would run downhill. And then, like you said, when you have additional, you know, generation capacity, that's when you would turn the pumps back on, pump all the water back up to the top of the hill. That's right. Okay. I just so, wanna... so if you if you can picture in your head, you have a lake at a high elevation mm-hmm. and a lake at a low elevation, and you got a uh, a powerhouse somewhere in the middle. Right. So th- during the day, during peak load demand, that lake is going to discharge that water down through the powerhouse, which spins the turbines, mm-hmm. creates electricity, and it's going to the bottom lake. Well, that bottom lake reservoir is going to fill up. The yep. top lake reservoir is going to decrease. Well, at night, we want to reverse that right. so that we fill that lake, that upper lake back up. So what we're doing, what we would do is we these turbines were actually two ways, and so we would reverse them, and we would literally use the turbines to pump water back up to the upper reservoir. Right. It's the same thing, and – of course, when you're doing that, you're consuming versus generating. Sure. So, but, but the ultimate goal would be, let let's say it took ten hours to pump that water, right? Sure. And, and ten hours to discharge that water. It's not quite. No, no, no. It's not sure. But, but the ultimate goal would be the ten hours of generating. You would make, let's say, five hundred megawatts. But then when you pump it back up at night, you only consume ten megawatts, right? So you're you're always net gaining every time you do it. Yeah, it, it is an it is a net gain, um, but it is it does take a lot more energy to push that sure. water back up the Absolutely. hill. Absolutely. Um, so I, I don't even know. And I, I, and I, I don't even know what I'd say. It's a net gain, right? The, realistically, what's the gain to the utility? Is you're providing power at peak demands at a higher rate, right? Um, during the day, during low uh low demand, mm-hmm. lower rates, you're pumping it back up, right? And and again, you're also getting that extra benefit of offsetting uh, other generation, whether it be nuclear, gas, uh, coal, whatever it may be. Right. At night, you're offsetting that so that some of these units don't have to power down at night. You can leave them running. You can pump that water back up. And then during the day when you got peak demand, not only do you still have those units up running because everybody knows what well, most people don't, what most people do, um, you know. What's really hard on these units is starting and stopping. A nuclear unit, sure. you're not, you don't want to start and stop right, it every yeah, day. Yeah. Uh, these gas plants, a lot of them are very temperamental. Um, coal plants, very temperamental when you start and stop them. So the goal is to leave them running as long as you can. Well, a hydro station, it's made to start and stop. Right. Um, so it's a whole lot easier to start and stop those hydro units. And the benefit is you get to keep those other generation, what we call base load. Mm-hmm. You have to keep that base load running all the time and then use your hydro to offset it. Right. I agree. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, the biggest thing that they were talking about here was EV can participate in time of use rates, uh, managed charging, vehicle to grid, bi-directional charging programs. Vehicle to grid, I think, is going to be one of the big things that you're going to really start seeing a lot of headlines for. Utilities are really going to start pushing platforms for people to sign up. 
That's the only way you're going to get people involved with Absolutely. it. That's how they always do it. Let's let's push let's push some incentives to our customers, and let's see what happens. But they're going to. I think you're really going to see vehicle to grid. I've, I've read a lot about it. Um, involved a good bit with some of the programs, and vehicle to grid is a big benefit to the utilities. Um, now, are the utilities? <coughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. Are the utilities ready for that? Some, yes. I think maybe out in California, uh, some of your highest, uh, New York, maybe where you've got a large capacity of EVs, they're a lot farther along, the utilities are, in being ready to deploy and sure. use vehicles to grid. Others, not so much. Now, they they, they know we're going to be going to it, but a lot of them are still struggling with how do we do this? Right. How do we incorporate all of this in? One of the biggest keys to incorporating it is to have a good distribution management system. Um, you've got to be able to tie in. Again, you got to be able to make sure that if I use that customer's car from, uh, let's say, you know, peak hours, well, peak hours may be right in the morning. Well, that may be when the customer is getting ready to leave. So yeah. you got to have good programs to where when the customer signs up, this is when I need my car. This mm-hmm. is when I use it. That you're making sure that you're providing their car at 100. percent Right. So now, I'm I'm also curious, like what kind of there has to be some type of comms, right? There's got to be some type of communication, a CAN bus from the battery. Because I'm just visualizing if you just plug in a battery, how does the dispatcher know the charge status of your vehicle? That's right. So that's where. A lot of that communication, uh, I don't think it may be developed. I may not know about right. it, but a lot of that type communication is not there yet. Now, um, a lot of your chargers, your EV chargers, sure, they, they know when your battery is 100%. Mm-hmm. That charger does. But then you've got to get that charger comms tied into your mm-hmm. local dispatch, dispatch or, or wherever right. because they've got to know that as well. Absolutely. Um, so – there's a lot of communication paths that that have to be established that are not right. present right that's, now. So I, that's going to be a lot. See, of, I think cell phones. Yeah, because <clears throat> you know, like every Tesla, you download the app, it connects to your phone, and you could be anywhere in the world and see the status of your Tesla. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, instead of reinventing the wheel with the communications from a charger to a dispatch center, if there's a a, a phone app. Right, yeah, if there's going to be an app that would be mutually available by the utility company and the consumer. Sure. That then transfers all that data. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. And you bring up apps, you know, how long is it before your home is tied into that app? Yeah. Um, you know, utilities are already doing a lot of this yeah. right now. Uh, you look at, um, 
and I say they're doing this, they're doing versions of these types of things, load management, these types of things where people that may sign up to where their AC, their hot water mm-hmm. heater, their pool pump, yep. all these different components inside their home, the utility company has the option to turn them off. Yep. Now, they don't turn them off for hours. They're going to cycle through yep. groups. But do the utilities go into that approach with EVs? Uh, I think that's going to be interesting to see how all that works out. I think I would install about five solar panels just to charge my car. <laughs> and be done with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and there again, um, you, you know, you bring up solar, but there's a lot of people that are hesitant on putting solar on their homes. I'll be honest with you. I don't have solar on my home. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I have a shingle roof yeah. on my home. I don't want those penetrations through my roof because I, I, I'm asking for a roof leak. You start. Have you started noticing the commercials now with the solar panels that are actually your roof material? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually were at a solar convention. Man, it must have been about six or seven years ago. We were at a solar convention. We walked by this booth, and it was one of these panels, mm-hmm. and it was literally, it looked like a metal roof. Right. And this guy was talking to us. And I told him, I told him at that time, I'll never forget looking at his booth. And I said, I would put that on my home. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looked at me funny. And he, he said, said that'd be 300 grand. <laughs> well, he didn't give me a price, but he, yeah. he, what was funny, his, his reaction was the best. He looked at me funny. He said, why wouldn't you put solar on your house now? I said, I don't want the penetrations through my mm-hmm. roof. And he goes, this is your answer. Right. And it was just like that. Oh, yep, yep, here yep. you go. Uh, but. I even made the comment to the guy I was with at the time. I was like, that will revolutionize where you see solar yeah. implemented on people's homes. Yeah. Because that's been a big hiccup with solar is the only way to put it on your homes is to put some kind of attachment methods onto your house. Mm-hmm. You're penetrating roofs. People don't want that. When you incorporate solar into your home, whether it be your roof, your wall panels, whatever it be, uh, you know, I, I envision one day where all the exterior of your home that's anywhere facing a, a sun right. source being solar. Yep. Um, when you start looking at that and and making it affordable and making it where it's part of the building envelope, you're going to really see a revolution in solar for so homes. I don't have this article today, which now I wish I would have. <laughs> but I have one in the bank for another show or two. And a company, and maybe this isn't earth-shattering info for some people, but I had never heard this. But there's a company out there that sells a window film, like a tent. It literally is like a tent. You would tent the windows to your truck. Wow. And you can tent the windows. And I mean, it's like one shade. So if you don't want dark windows, you still want to see, you sure. know, the beautiful variety. You know, you paid for a million dollar view. Right. You want a million dollar right. view. It looks like one shade darker than just pure crystal clear transparency. And it turns every window into a solar panel. Wow. So somehow there's, it's able, the monocrystalline or whatever is able to use solar energy and harness it. And there's this real little wire that runs over to your window seal. And then you can just connect them all in series all the way around your house. Wow. And now your window is collecting solar. And now, you got to think too, 
if your windows collect in solar, what does that do for your interior of your home and your climate control? Is is that they just got to make it cooler? It's right? got to be making it yeah, cooler. It's, it's collecting be, those UV rays. That's exactly right. right. It's got to be absorbing those, and yeah. it's got to be making the inside. Of you. So it's a dual purpose, right. even in that point. So that's super cool. That's <clears throat> yep. really cool. I wish I had that article ready to go for this episode. <laughs> now I know we keep cutting you off, man. You got more to go. No, you're good. You're good. It, it this article also talked about some of the strategies that utility companies were ta- were looking at. Um, you know, w- like we discussed earlier, one of the big things is the management of those loads and how to incorporate EVs. Um, I thought this was really cool. They've got us. The the utilities have got to streamline the regulated uh, process, a regulation process for the interconnection of the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the big hiccups right now. Is the regulatory process for all these inter- interconnection system of these systems is tremendously long. Um, if they don't do something to reduce that process, um, it's just it's the bottleneck. Of everything. Right. It's yeah. the bottleneck of this whole industry. So, you know, they talked about that. I'd agree with that 100%. With distribution, demand response systems, uh, of course, we, we've talked a lot about that as well. Um, rebate programs. They've got to get good rebate programs. You're never going to get a program to work or this adoption of ED, EVs and load uh, assist if you don't get the customers to buy into it. Of course. Uh, you got to have your customers. You know, the grid upgrades, um, is the grid okay for neighborhoods? Is it not okay for average size commercial? You know, what kind of upgrades do the utilities need to be doing? Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty cool in- article. Yeah. Uh, the only couple of things I would add, and, and yes, you're right. That was, that was good info. You're really putting Blake out of a job. Man, just, just Blake's going to be gone there. by the time I leave. He is gone already. <laughs> he just don't know it yet. He don't know it. Poor, he be, he better poor be, Juicy. <laughs> he better be checking LinkedIn for job opportunities. That's right. <laughs> by the way, this one don't pay. Oh, man. Yeah, you're out. <laughs> that's that's how the last 10 people left, too. Oh, I should have known I was number 11. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned specifically to Duke Energy, but I've been reading that the government wants to do the same exact thing, and that is the battery sharing. That's right. The, that has nothing to do with the UT. Now, this program, again, I'm not disputing what you read for Duke in, sure. in particular, but I've been reading that the Biden administration was already in talks with the GM, Ford, and Dodge because, you know, it, it's very funny that he continues to ignore Tesla. Yes. Which has just paved the road. Oh, they have. They, they, just paved the road. Anybody but, that's familiar with EVs right. know that, knows that. And I'll be honest with you, Ford and GM – would never make it no. if they didn't force Tesla to, to open up their charger, their exactly. infrastructure. Exactly. I mean, that's the only way they're going to make it. I agree. Um, but, you know, he won't recognize Elon. Mm-mm. I've heard him make similar statements that that's part of the big push is it would be a United States-wide battery bank for load sharing. And that, that piqued my interest. I'm like, hmm, say what? Yeah. Well, what did he mean by that? Because – I never really know what he's talking about. Neither does he. <laughs> no, but no, he doesn't. I was like, what? And then that's when I, that prompted me to look into that, uh, uh, I don't know, four, five, six months ago. And I was like, oh, I see what they're cooking up. They want everybody to stay plugged in yep. at all times. At all times. And then they can constantly draw from your vehicle. Yep. And then I wonder how that works with charging. I guess it's no different than a house with solar. You get the two-way meter. So, you know, as you draw off the grid, you pay. And then if you give back to the grid, they pay you 
in well, theory. And here's something to think about with that. You know, everybody's talking about, okay, this is a great opportunity, but let's think about us as a customer. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I've bought my new F-150 Lightning and, uh, I didn't sign up for one of these programs. Uh, I didn't get rebates for it, but I, I went out and I paid the sticker price on it. Well, all of a sudden now there's government mandates. My truck has to be used. It's just like any other lithium ion battery. The more right. cycles You're it cycling. goes through, right. the more degradation on yep. that battery. That's a valid so, point. Um, now my truck is not going to last as long right. because it's getting used. Yeah, you drove it three times this month. Right. But your battery had 50 depths of discharge. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's a valid. I hadn't even thought of that. This is, man, you're good. <laughs> that's you're, why, you're that's really, why I'm the new juicy. Yeah, man. <laughs> now I'm, I mean, I'm staring at the ceiling. My wheels are turning. Yeah. I mean, but you got to think that's, about, you got to think about wow, your warranties on I your batteries. Think about that. And your degradation on your batteries. Um, you know, it sounds like a great idea, but me as a customer, right. I'm always thinking about, well, what am I getting? Mm-hmm. Okay. If I haven't, if sure, if you sign up for these rebates and you sign up for these programs, you understand. You right. Know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm that's getting, what you signed up for. That's what you signed up for. Exactly. That's what you agreed for. But at the, some point, it's going to turn into a mandatory process. That's interesting, Jay. Yeah. Man. Ooh, that's something to think about. Because, yep. yeah, I mean, so – in theory, you could let's say you drive a company vehicle all day, all, all week, right? But you just leave your personal, in this case, F one fifty Lightning plugged in. Yep. You may not drive it or crank it in a month. Well, I guess you can't crank it, but you know what I'm saying, right? You may not drive it in a month, but your battery cycled fifty times. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. And that could be an extremely low number. Could be. Could be. I mean, it could be a high, high number. We don't know right now. That's crazy. We really don't know what that number might be. I'd be pissed. I mean, because in theory, that would be the same as me going out to my personal truck right now. I turn the key on it and it says I got 180,000 miles on it. And and you know I haven't driven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'd be pissed. Yeah. Uh, I haven't even thought of, because you're right, you're still discharging and and topping those batteries off. Now, what's going to be the saving grace again (sighs) is these new technologies. What everybody's counting on with these new technologies is... Increased number of discharges mm-hmm. for uh, for the life cycle of the battery. Um, increased capacity. Yep. Smaller footprint. Yep. That's the three. That's the in my mind. That's the three things that have got to get got to happen to make this to make the EVs really go all out. I agree. Um, but at the same time, as you increase that capacity, mm-hmm. I, I, are you increasing your amount of de- discharge I in mean, your charge time and your charge time really i mean i know 
there's a lot to think about there. And it's, it's interesting. It really, I mean, you could go off on a tangent oh, yeah. for hours just yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about that. No, I'm not going to take it over. No, man, <laughs> that, that was that was good stuff. And, and yeah, you really got my wheels are turning now. <laughs> they turn slow, but they're turning. That's all right. At least they're turning. All right. So you're the resident best guru. We're going to go with guru. Well, if you mean resident by I'm sitting here in the booth and I That's am right. the best guru, we'll go with that. That's right. Between the two of us. <laughs> That's right. You're the guru. <laughs> So I got an article here that XL Energy receives approval to build a multi-day battery storage in Minnesota. A couple of things caught me off. So multi-day, that's kind of misleading, right? Because I could sit here and say I have a double-A battery that'll last seven years. Sure. As long as you don't put no load on it. That's right. So the the word multi-day, I was like, all right, this is awesome. This right. is going to be some 500 megawatt <laughs> massive batteries like it's 10 megawatts yeah and they're probably using what like it's 100 kilowatts per hour 10 megawatts <laughs> not nothing against the excel right but they knew how to type a headline oh they know how to do a I'm headline like, right all there. right what do we got so anyhow this was uh published july 7th of this year so a little old a little old but you know doesn't change the facts no but another thing that caught my eye, and, and you being a best guy, have you ever heard of an iron air battery? I have heard of them. I do not have any experience with them. Me neither. Um, I don't really know much about it. But these are going to utilize a iron air battery system. Uh, again, it's a 10 megawatt site. It's a 1,000 megawatt iron air battery system. Uh, developed by Massachusetts-based Form Energy, F-O-R-M. All right, go back Energy. to that. You said it's 10 megawatts. That's right. 1,000 megawatt hours. hours. That's right. Okay. So, so it's got lots of capacity. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Nope. That's exactly right. So, again, I really was excited when I saw multi-day battery storage, and then I read the small print, and yep. it's only 10 megs. Yeah. Number two, I saw the Iron Air battery system. I was hoping you knew a little bit about it. I wrote down just a little bit that I could Google real quick. Uh, train me on it. Well, I don't got a lot here. <laughs> it says an Iron Air battery is a type of metal air battery that uses iron as the negative electrode and air as the positive electrode. Yep, that sounds like magic fairy dust to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. The battery works by, oh, boy, it converts iron to rust. Well, let me tell you, that ain't new technology. Walk around my backyard. <laughs> I can show you, I have been converting iron to rust for years. I can name several <laughs> people I know whose vehicles have been doing this That's for a right. long time. <laughs> so it converts iron to rust and then reverses the process. To produce the energy. See, that's where my rust is missing out on this whole deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely missing out so on that part. It's made out of an alkaline electrolyte. And a membrane, which is the uh, controls the air, and then the battery has cells that are filled with iron pellets that are in the air. Hmm. That was just a quick Google search. I was honestly hoping you being the best guy had more. Man, I disappointed you. But uh, but anyhow, so XL building a multi-day battery storage at ten megawatts. Wow! And they're using this iron air battery technology. I was genuinely curious. I, I'm going to have to do a follow up on that. Well, me being the battery safety guy, um, I'm always interested in the new technologies yeah. and what is their what is their fire risk. 
Um, you know, lithium ion, high, high thermal runaway risk. I know some of your other battery technologies, uh, uh, sodium, uh, battery, mm-hmm. some of those other technologies, your fire, your thermal runaway risk and all of those, or there's no thermal runaway risk as far as with those technologies. So I always like to like to see, I honestly think that that's the future for utilities is moving to a technology where there's no fire risk, right. uh, no explosion risk. Um, that's going to make these things a lot safer. So I'd be interested to see what happens. Yeah. I'm going to follow up for everybody listening on hopefully some more on the composition of the iron air battery. Sure. What you got? Oh man. Money. Money. I mean, Let's I don't money. I don't, <laughs> but I know some people that did. Uh, that would be the government. Oh yeah. Yes. This actually surprised me. We've heard a lot on lithium and the dangers of mining lithium, right? Yep. You know, like, is it really in a green vehicle when you account for the lithium and the sure. mining? Well, the U.S. Department of Energy just gave out $10.9 million to expand domestic mining of lithium. Domestically. Yeah. This, that, I this actually know, hits home. I didn't know we actually had lithium mines in the U.S. We do, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to leave where I live out of the picture, right. but um, there is a huge push for an expansion of a lithium mine within about 20 miles of my home. Oh, I hope you don't like your drinking water. Well, luckily <laughs> yeah. I'm 20 miles away, but we know how water flows That's under right. the ground, uh, which we're all concerned about ourselves. Um but yeah, the lithium, there's a small lithium mine there yeah. and they're wanting to rapidly expand it. Um, it's very concerning for us as citizens. Um, yeah. and, and there again, you made the comment, these green, green renewable resources. I, I don't feel like that if I have to go mine something from the ground, is that a real re- renewable resource? Right. Um, I've always, you know, I, I, I literally made my money from a utility running renewables. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always had to watch what I said about it. I'm not with them anymore. So sometimes I get a little more freedom <laughs> That's right. to say what I really think. But, you know, I have concerns with the rapid uh, expansion of solar. Um, you, you look at where they're going out and putting these solar fields. We're chopping down yep. 600 acres of, yep. of forest yep. to put in a solar site mm-hmm. what are we doing for our air i mean this this forest was literally cleaning our air and now we're chopping it down for energy yeah, um, we we chop down i would say animals but they're plants that eat carbon sure. dioxide that's right we're worried about the co2 levels yeah, oh, climate change global right. warming right but let's chop everything down that helps that that's right and let's put in more solar that's uh, right. it, you know it, it seems like a Real contradictory uh, statement to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. So the DOE, Department of Energy, uh, they announced that they're going to put $10.9 million into 10 projects in nine states for advanced innovative technologies for extracting battery-grade lithium. In other words, they're giving you $10.9 million to dig lithium. That's right. We can, we can put lipstick on a pig all that's won't. what it's saying but that's what we're doing uh, and i was shocked and, and i don't know that this indicates i gotta flip through a bunch of pages i apologize for the noise i'm about to produce i don't know that it's indicative of the actual locations of where the the mine sites are but it breaks down 
where the money is getting divvied up. And like a million dollars is going to University of Pennsylvania. Okay. A million dollars is going, because basically it's 10.9 million for 10 projects. So sure. basically about a million, million right? Yep. Uh, a million is going to Texas A&M. Okay. Uh, a million is going to UPenn. So I guess that's in University of Pennsylvania as well, but not the other University of Pennsylvania, or they're double dipping. Good on <laughs> them. I like they, they filed under five different That's names, right. right? <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I was reading where all this stuff is going. Well, is it all going to universities to, for research? No, 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 not all of it, but most of it. But, okay. but the other company names, I don't know where they are. Hmm. So when I read the universities, I'm like, okay, Pennsylvania, hmm. Texas, Oklahoma, hmm. Wisconsin. Hmm. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah. Now, but again, that doesn't mean that those universities – aren't funding one dig site wherever it may be, right? Sure. That doesn't mean that they have lithium in Texas, lithium in Oklahoma, lithium in Wisconsin. Sure. You almost wonder, do, are some of those going for research uh, applications or is it actually funding well, that's the what I That's what I would have thought. But again, it, it says that the money is specifically, it will uh, to extract and convert battery grade lithium. Hmm. Yeah. It sounds to me like it looks like somebody in, got a loophole. Yeah, it sounds like it's at least <laughs> intended to dig it out of the ground. That that was what I would call extraction. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, Usually, you don't extract lithium at a university. No, no probably not. Probably. I not. could be wrong. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been to one. Uh, longer for me, brother. <laughs> longer for me. But go ahead. You got another one here? Sure, sure. I'm looking at Inside Climate News. Um, this was back in June, but I thought it was a really interesting article. Uh, talking about money, mm-hmm. um, you know, utilities historically, a lot of people have misconceptions on how utilities make money. Most people, and I'll be honest, I've asked most of my neighbors, how does your local utility make their money? And nine out of 10 answers are by selling me power. Sure. Well, that's not true. Most of their money is made on capital investments. Yeah. Well, um, Connecticut's trying something new. Uh, they're looking at tying electric utilities profit to their performances. So that one more time. They're, they're Connecticut. Lo- yeah. Connecticut. They're looking at tying the utilities profit mm-hmm. to their performance. So not necessarily on your, how much capital investment you, you made. Right. But more on your performance. So in other oh. words, uh, how, how's these customer scores, right? Outage scores, satisfaction, all of that tying into your profit to it. So, you know, Traditional framework, utilities are mostly a monopoly. You got your regulated markets, and that's a cost of service model. So, like we said, most people think utilities make the majority of their money on selling power, but in all actuality, the money's made by approved returns on investments. Right. So, they get paid returns on capital investments. Uh, so in other words, they get money, they get guaranteed returns by building power plants, uh, whether that's solar, battery, hydro, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and they also get paid money on all their transmission and distribution, uh, investments. Right. At the same time, the states are regulating the charge to customers. So they're making sure that the utilities are profiting. Well, in Connecticut, there was a large storm that came through. I think it was about 9,000 customers were in at an outage. Mm-hmm. Maybe I may, I may have said that completely wrong. Uh, don't hold me to that. We'll number. go with it, though. We'll go with it. Yeah. It sounded great. But anyway, the right after that, the 
the regulators or the uh, state legislate state legislator. Mm-hmm. I'll say that right in a second. Demons. Yeah, Demons. They decided, hey, this is not the right platform we need to be having our utilities. So they're going to try out a new framework. Um, they're looking at performance-based regulation. It's pretty much revenue based on goals, based on reliability. So, and the regulators will also ensure reasonable rates for their energy rates, uh, for their what they charge. Right. Um, the utilities can earn financial rewards or penalties for metrics based on reliability. Oh, penalties. Oh, uh, yeah. It goes two ways. Mm-hmm. It goes two ways. There's always. The, a- but here's the problem. Here's the problem. The penalty gets paid to who? Yeah. The government. The government. It should be paid back to, to the, the customer. That's right. That's right. There's your problem. Mm-hmm. You know, storm-based outages could be a big factor. Um, this sure. could really reshape how utilities approach cap- capital investments as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about in one of the other uh, podcasts wh- how utilities are investing larger amounts of money into rural populations because using like energy storage because of outages. Right. Well, this framework could be opposite. No, well, it could be the same, but it could really expand that. It really could see, expand See, I see that. the opposite. How you say? Well, because now you're going to mob rule. That's true. Because you're you're getting this based on reviews, right, of sure. your customers. So if you got a city with 100,000 people and all you got to do is make them happy or you can maintain 5,000 miles of lines in a rural area for 10 happy customers. Sure. I want to take care of the city. Absolutely. I could see that side of it. You see it. what I'm saying? I could see that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do, but at the end of the day, you're kind of buying votes here. Yeah. You really are. And so, yeah, you're going to want popularity. Your, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're going to want your populous areas to be happy. Yep. And you much rather the 20 rural people complain than the 200,000 in the town. Sure. So, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but that's just what I see. I, but, can, I can see both sides. But you know, but also I think it'd in be Connecticut, I've never seen real rural areas in Connecticut. True. I'm just, I know they'll email and go, oh, no. <laughs> There's gonna, lots of them. Gonna, but they ain't. Yeah. Right. I, I've been there. Yeah. They they ain't rural. If they think they're rural, they should go to South Dakota, <laughs> Wyoming, Wyoming, Montana. Yep. <laughs> you know what I that's mean? That's rural. <laughs> yes. So um, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that, this That's a definitely a complete – I don't know of any other state or utilities that get judged on those metrics. It's actually Connecticut's the second. Hawaii. Really? Hawaii was the first oh, one to okay. look at this. And these these two states are looking at it as a statewide effort. Um, it, the article talks about there's several several states. It's really a, a range. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're at the far end of the spectrum. Um, lo- there's several other states that are in the middle to low portion. So they're they're still they're still looking at those um, those the uh, the traditional framework, but they're also tying some metrics into mm-hmm. it. Um, this is going the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Hawaii is an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going opposite of you, Jay. Let's do it. You're talking Connecticut and, and, and you know, high population. I love reading articles from the NRECA. Which the NRECA is National Rural Electric Co-op Association. They have like 900 member co-ops. You know, they're looking sure. out for the little guy, the yep. little man, right? Yep. And my my father worked for a co-op his whole life. 
I have a cousin that used to work for a co-op. I kind of, I'm kind of partial to him. I've never worked for a co-op. Sure. But I'm kind of partial to him. So in RECA, I got, I got a couple articles here. Um, they released nine regulations that are currently threatening the rural cooperatives and things to look out for. So number one is the new Biden-Harris ozone transport rule. So this rule, let me flip my page here. The impact on the co-ops, the affected co-ops in covered states must install a selective catalytic reduction system, an SCR system is what <laughs> it would call that, or take equivalent measures to reduce nitrogen oxide emissions in order to attain thresholds set by the EPA. First off, do you know what agency in the United States makes laws? Makes laws? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'll be our congressional. That's right. Yeah. Why does the EPA make laws? I haven't figured that out. Me neither. Yeah. But regardless, do you have a diesel truck, Jay? I do have you a diesel do. truck. So when I say the word SCR, which I guess isn't a word, acronym. Acronym. Does that not scare you? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Me too. Yep. Me too. So, yeah. Um, so there's rule number one. Mm-hmm. There's another rule, mercury air rule. Impact of the co-ops, the proposal requires significant reductions in allowable emissions from facilities, which would require some plants to install expensive emission technologies. Hmm. I thought we just covered that. Yeah. But there's more. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Of course there's more with the EPA. All right. Then there's the Clean Air Act, Section 111B, which is new power plant greenhouse gas rule. Are we noticing everything's on emissions at this point? I'm very, noticing a pattern here. Maybe it's just cheaper to install solar panels. That's what they want. I think you're right. I, yeah. that's, I, I was clearing <laughs> through these. Yeah. And finally, I was like. Let's see a pattern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just yeah. buy solar at this point. Yeah. It doesn't do solar. matter if it works or not, yep. but I can't afford to turn the plan on here. That's right. All right, so the Clean Air Act Section 111B, New Power Plant Greenhouse Gas Rule, impact to the co-ops. The co-ops seeking to build a new natural gas unit to provide baseload power need to co-fire hydrogen by 2032. So that ain't very far away. No. Or equip units with CCS, don't know what that stands for, by 2035. The proposal raises reliability concerns because of the uncertainty that these technologies will be ready when even required by the EPA. So they're implementing, you have to use this by 2032. Yep. But the technology don't even exist yet. That's See, and th- this is the problem with the push for yep. the green. I know. It. The green push is, if you look, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. um, if you look at a lot of these utilities, um, at their plan for their 2050 carbon, where they're going to go net zero. Right, yep. Well, a big portion of that is these zero emission mm-hmm. plants that don't exist. That they don't exist. Right. So we're putting all our we're putting a large amount of our our mm-hmm. our our projects into a bucket of things that don't exist. Exactly. That should scare everybody. It's, yeah. It scares me yeah. because at the end of the day, when I walk in my house and I turn the light switch on, I expect my lights to come on. Right. And I know we may have people listening from California, but I don't want I don't want it be expected to have rolling brownouts, mm-hmm. rolling blackouts. I don't want that life. Yeah, we have a really really reliable system around here, mm-hmm. and my concern is by pushing all of these mandates, especially incorporating technologies that don't exist. Right. At what point do we get there? 
I, <laughs> well, it depends on what there is. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you know, and this is totally unrelated, but you brought up something and I know you said California, I know Texas has had a few issues, but about sure. the blount brownouts, have you heard the phrase PSPS? No. That's Papa Sierra, Papa Sierra. Okay. So that is public safety. Oh gosh. <laughs> public safety. Get those wheels turning. Public safety power shutoff. Public safety power, power shutoff. Shut okay. That's the cute little term they're coining it now. Oh, no, no, no. This ain't a rolling bland now. brownout. We're going to intentionally cut the grid off to save the grid, and we're just doing PSPS. <laughs> so that's what they're doing now is they're advertising that, hey, we're going to do a PSPS today between noon and four. And it's just another, oh, okay, all right. Oh, oh. But that means they're doing a public safety power shutoff. So they could say because of high winds or high fire danger, or maybe there's predicted flooding, right? Flash flooding sure. coming or something like that. But that's now the industry term is PSPS for public safety power shutdown. So they're normalizing it. That's right. That's all they're doing. No, 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 I agree. Trying to normalize. Yeah, no, they put a little cute acronym and buzzword with it. Make it sound nice. I know, yeah. Yeah. It almost sounds like you got a raise, don't it? Oh, man. Oh, hey, you want a PSPS? Yeah. Did you hear it? I'm glad they're throwing one today. (laughs) Really worried about it. Yeah, it's like happy hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so if you start hearing that terminology in our industry, that's what it is. It's public safety power shutdowns. And they're coining this term and it's starting to be spread and used. As a PSPS. I'm telling you. And doesn't that go against everything we've ever been taught in this industry? Our, our job has always been to keep meters turning. Keep, keep the people, lights on. Keep the lights on. Yep. And now we're forcing outages. Yes. That's the most counterintuitive thing I could think of. Especially for you and I. Right. We came from field work. We came from operations centers. Um, that was instilled. That yeah. was ingrained mm-hmm. into our core um, you, you have to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Very counterintuitive. I know it's crazy, man. So I, I'm just quickly scrolling through, by the way, uh, in this article, again, back to, to remind everybody, since I went on a stupid tangent, we're talking about the NRECA <laughs> national rural electric, uh, gosh, committee. Yes. Uh, I'm scrolling through all these, you know, potential problems. And so they highlight, nine regulations that are threatening threatening reliability but again they're speaking strictly from a smaller cooperative standpoint sure of those nine five are rules that have been implemented without the technology existing which we just went over the one and then we went off on our tangent sure five of them wow are forcing utilities in this case specifically the cooperatives into technologies that don't even exist. And what's bad is these cooperatives, a lot of these are your slow, small co-ops. Yeah. They don't have the money. No, they don't have the capital. research, the development. They don't have that Jeez. capital. And it's disheartening. It, is. it really is. No, nope, I agree. So while on the cooperative news, found, and this may, again, drive this point home, especially to our We do have listeners in New York, New York. Sure. Um, the Welcome. Supply. Huh? <laughs> Welcome, New York. That's right. <laughs> Supply co-ops make unprecedented moves to stock up for broadband projects. And this is a very interesting article that since COVID in the very extreme rural area, because we think broadband, broadband isn't new technology. No. Well, a lot of co-ops are fighting to still implement broadband, and they're having to reframe poles and implement this broadband technology. Sure. 
because of COVID. So many people started working from home. So many people became reliant on internet. Yep. And now there's this massive push. But what did we also get with COVID? Supply chain issues. Yep. So all these co-ops have this massive backlog to meet a government mandate to install broadband to all these areas. Wow. Which at first I was like, wow, who doesn't have broadband? <laughs> You'd be surprised. No. There's a yeah. lot of areas. And you think, you know, when somebody says, you know, they don't have broadband, you think of underve- underdeveloped countries, something like that. No, we're talking about the states, and there's a large population yeah. that does not have it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah, um, it's a very interesting article. Apparently, they started the government started setting aside money back in 2007 to push broadband, you know, across the board. Sure. Uh, and that's crazy that this was started in 2007. And here it's, we are. What year? 2023. 2023. Still not done. Yeah. Yeah. But then because of the, the, the demand that COVID put, on people working from home and remotely and realizing, hey, we need to get broadband. But because of that same pandemic, the supply chain is shut down. Sure. And now they can't even get the supplies to do the broadband upgrades. Wow. But yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. Again, we're we're trying to, I don't want to say appease. Appease makes it sound bad. Like, you know, it's almost an obligation. Sure. We're not trying to appease. But of course, on the show, I'm always trying to connect the New York City journeyman to a guy in iowa and that was something i thought was very interesting and i'm I'm sure there's a lot of people that have never dreamed that here we are in 2023 and there's many 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 americans that don't have broadband right and 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 that's you know it's it is sad i mean it really is sad it's something that we take for granted especially if you live in a densely populated area Mm -hmm. or near one right i mean you know, 5G is all through these right. major yeah, cities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all this. And and what's even funnier, you know, I live outside of a large city. And, you know, I go downtown and 5G everywhere. I mean, it's a right. huge 5G bubble. Well, I literally drive 25 minutes to my home. And you mentioned, you know, COVID, everybody going to work from home. Mm-hmm. I live in a very small neighborhood. It's got about 30 homes in it. Um before COVID, uh, I had super, super fast internet. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But what was crazy with COVID, out of those 30 homes, at least, I would say probably 60 to 70% of the people in my neighborhood now work from home. Mm-hmm. So my internet struggles. She's dragging. She's dragging. <laughs> she is giving it all she's got wow. most days. And, you know... I'm not far from a major city, mm-hmm. but there are certain days where I can't get my computer to hardly even connect to yeah. the internet. It's so bad. I, I get that issue here, and I'll actually turn on like my hotspot. Yeah. Yep. I, I have I've had, done the exact yep, same I've thing. I've had better internet with my hotspot sometimes than my wife. The only internet I've had sometimes yeah. is with my hotspot. It's what's really what's really bad for me is I'm at the end of the line. Mm-hmm. I'm in a cul-de-sac. I'm the last home, so I'm getting whatever scraps are left right, yeah. after everybody else is <laughs> divided up. I'm getting the little scraps at yeah, the end, and like, then of course me and my wife both work from home, oh, yeah. so we're both fighting inside the house mm-hmm. for every little bit we got. That's so right. Some days it's a battle royale at the house for internet. So you need to run around your neighborhood 
and just turn your neighbor's breakers off. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Like, no power for you. No power for you. No power for you. <laughs> no TV for you. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Jay, I'm bone dry, brother. Uh, I'm I'm out too. My well is tapped out. Hey, you did a great job. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You this did is, a great this job. Is fun. This is a lot of fun. No, I, we appreciate it, man. Um, I'm just trying to think. Any follow up actions? Nope. I'm good. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for a second. Yeah, those wheels turned for that's just the right. hair. <laughs> that's right. So I don't know if this show is going to air before or after. Okay. Your other episode that you did specifically on the best, you know, the battery energy storage systems for those that don't know. But regardless, I do want to thank you for doing two shows now. Absolutely. I don't know in which order they're going to air. That's all right. If you want to, you're welcome to give any other shout outs, comments, uh, whatever you got. And then we'll, we'll wrap this puppy up. Hey, a huge shout out to you guys. I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on, talk about energy, working with lightning. I mean, this is super cool. It's <laughs> a great opportunity to be here. I'm extremely honored to be able to come on to the program to talk, uh, especially, I mean, you, you're getting a, a huge growth, uh, in your listeners. Uh, you got people, Everywhere except Australia. That's I'll right. Let you slide on that one. <laughs> um, no, this is super cool. I really, really appreciate the opportunity, and, and I can't tell you enough. Hopefully, I get the opportunity in the future to come back on, and we'll Anytime. do it again. Anytime. I am the new Juicy. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. I, I'll, I'll call Sam and order some pants. Oh, no, I'm just kidding now. <laughs> All right, everybody, as always, we appreciate your time. Make sure you interact with us. Give us some ideas, options, uh, opinions on Facebook, LinkedIn. Email us anytime. Y'all know the drill. We'll talk to y'all next week. Hey, everyone. Thank you all for listening. If you guys want to check us out, where can they check us out, Jeremy? Oh, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and email us at workingwithlightning at gmail.com. Man, that sounds great. It is. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Appreciate your time. Yep. Take it easy, everyone. See you.